Today we're going to look at the idea of what stewardship is. And we're going to look at it a little bit differently than, than most might with respect to the title of the sermon. We're not going to talk about resources in terms of finances. We're going to talk about our responsibility as human beings with respect to our duty on the planet. Turn with me over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 8, and then verse 15. Excuse me, 7 through 9, and then verses, verse 15. The title of the message is Stewardship Caring for Your Garden. It says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Verse 9, it might not be in your reading there. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life and also the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of the good and evil. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Lord, help us as we study your word. There are three things in this passage about which I'd like to speak to you. One, placement. Two, provision. And the other, profession. Placement, provision, and profession. God made the world so that man could be served by it. And there was this beautiful synergy between who he made man to be and what he made the world to be to man. Man came from the earth. He was made from the dust of the ground. And he was distinctly made from the rest of creation by having the breath of life put in him from God. Everything else had oxygen. He had the spirit of God on the inside of him. This is what distinguishes man from all the other animal kingdom is that we're made in his image. When, when God breathed into Adam the breath of life, it was more than just O2. It was himself. And that distinguishes mankind from all of the other animals. It doesn't mean that the other animals aren't important or valuable. It just means that man is completely different. He didn't come from them, though he was made of the stuff from which they were made. All of them were made from the dust of the earth. But he was made differently, and you are made differently. I'm a biology major. I get it. I read through evolution. I still study it. Scientific American is the magazine, the only one that I have sent to my house. And when it comes, I read it from cover to cover. Half of it I don't understand. But I, I learn and I'm encouraged by what science is going through. Yet science many times doesn't agree with people of faith. And I'm not disturbed by that too much because I realize the longer they go in determining what truth looks like, it's got to agree with my Bible. So whatever they determine to be true that doesn't agree with my Bible yet, it's just because they haven't learned enough yet. That's all it is. They haven't, they haven't discovered enough in order to understand what truth looks like because my God is true. In all ways, he is true. He's not just true theologically. He's true environmentally. He's true ecologically. He's true in his understanding and, and, and statement about how the earth was made. It was made by him. He made this planet so that the planet might serve Adam well and that Adam might serve it well. And he, 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 he did so by placing him in the right spot. And I want to encourage you 
that although there is nothing about Northern Virginia or Washington, D.C. that could ever be likened to Eden, this is a fallen planet, and we live in one of the more fallen places. I pray for our government regularly, both the local and the national. And they are doing their very best to make good decisions on our behalf. But sometimes they miss the mark. I don't agree with what they decide. And I realize sometimes they don't know what it means to make our planet better because they don't read their Bible. And I can't get mad at them about it. I can't because they're only doing what they feel is best. But I can pray for them. That's what I'm supposed to do, pray for them. And if need be, make sure that I exercise my right to vote to take those who don't agree with what my Bible says and have them find another job. I ain't mad about that either. Put some people in who really understand what my Bible has to say so that we can build the earth at least back to what it is, it is with respect to best that we can make it. There is no way that we could ever have Eden again until the end. Now, I don't know what the end looks like. You know, I'm not a pastor who preaches on eschatology very much. But I'm just going to dabble a little bit in it today to let you understand what I believe about what end times are. And I do not believe that today are them. Now, I believe we're in the end times simply because there were a lot of times that went before us. So whatever this is, is closer to the end than the people who wrote in the Bible. No question about it. But the version of the end times that I have is very different than the version of most people that have a version of the end times. I look at the book of Revelation and most of the insights that Paul give, gives in, in Thessalonians and Corinthians. I look at that and I say, well, he's writing to people, John and Paul right, and, and Peter when he talks about a new heaven and a new earth. They're all writing to people who are living in that day and they are looking for consolation, encouragement and instruction about how to live in that day. And I believe that the book of Revelation especially is helping people who would read John's insights into what God is revealing, helping them to understand how they ought to act today, meaning that day, not this day. Those people to whom the letter was written, how they, the church at Thyatira, Pergamum, Sardis, Ephesus, those seven churches were the churches to whom the letter was written. The churches in what we would now call Turkey. They needed to know, what do I do with this government in Rome who doesn't like me? How do I best live? And all of the imagery and signs and, 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 and the kind of uh, piecing of the puzzle of who the, the Antichrist would be. And, and what it was like, all of the, the, the codes that John uses, I think were for those people in that day. Now, it doesn't mean that there isn't a time when Jesus is going to split the sky and come back. I believe that, and I'm looking forward to that. In fact, if he wanted to do that tomorrow, I wouldn't be mad. Mm, wind this thing up. We don't have to work near as hard anymore and go straight to glory. I'm happy about that. But... Millennialists, amillennialists, premillennial, uh, dispensationalism. I'm not going to get into all that. All I can say is this. I'm trying to live as best I know how today because I realize this, that there is nothing more consistent about church history than difficulty. <laughs> Whether it be the early church, the first church. Let's go with the first church. They were preaching the gospel with such effectiveness. People were getting healed that were lame from birth. 
that they got beaten for it and they got happy about getting beaten. The, uh, Stephen was martyred. The, the first church was always, they were living in difficulty. The early church, living in difficulty. All you got to do is read Fox's Book of Martyrs to understand the first 300 years of church history and go, wow, that was hard. The way we're living today is not near akin to what they live. We've lived in a society that has allowed us pretty much to live out our faith as we please. Now, I don't think it's going to stay that way simply because we haven't done near as good a job as a church as we should have to reach people that don't know anything about them. And so most of the people who are coming up, especially in a democracy, when you have a democracy and the church doesn't do its job, the vast majority of the people don't know anything about God and don't care. In fact, they think he's kind of a threat to the way they want to live. And so when they get in power, they make decisions that aren't in the best interest of his will, which, are, which adversely affect the church. And so we're in trouble unless we see God do a miracle out there. And that's why we are doing grace loves. Oh, we love people. There's no question. Even if they don't repent. We're not mad about that. We're just glad to be able to serve him. But we also take the gospel with it, with all of our food, with all of our supplies. We take the gospel with it in hopes that they would begin to love him for whom, the one for whom they died, excuse me, the one for whom he died, the ones for whom he died. I'll get the English right in a minute. Just say it with me. Our hope is that we can see our society change for the better. Because God's will is always the best will. So even if you're amillennialist, you're premillennialist, you're postmillennialist, you're, you're dispensationalist, which I, I'm, I'm not a dispensationalist, I'm not. That is looking at the Bible at different points in which God does something specific for that time period and then he, he pretty much stops and does another thing for another time period. I believe there's something that starts in the beginning and has a beautiful scarlet thread all the way to the end. That God hadn't had a different idea from Genesis. And he hasn't had a different idea. He's employed different means in order to make sure we could best find the road back to Genesis. But I think he's still trying to figure out how to make Eden. And when I say make Eden, I'm not talking about trying to get a some kind of, of virtual, real paradise on earth that somehow allows us the privilege of being secluded from the rest of the world. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the version of the kingdom that Jesus talked about when he talked about the kingdom of God is at hand. What was that? Except what, what Adam had in Eden. What Adam had in, the, in Eden, it didn't need to be called a kingdom because there was no need for a king. See, the idea of a king came when the people decided that they didn't want God to be their king anymore and they wanted somebody like all the other nations to rule over them. That's where the idea of the king came from. And then from that, they developed the messianic idea and God just kind of morphed whoever he needed to be anthropomorphically. Sorry, my mouth isn't working very well today. Anthropomorphically in order to fit the, the, the idea of leadership into their understanding so they could embrace what he wanted to do. But it was not his desire in the beginning for them to have a king. And therefore, there was no reason to, to call whatever Eden was a kingdom. It was just a place where Adam lived that had no issues and no problems, where God's rule was unquestioned and had no limits because it was perfectly executed through Adam. I think that's what God is still trying to do. But we call it a kingdom... Because 
Jesus was in the line of David. We, we get that. But it's the same God who's ruling over the same people. Flawed, sinful, but his role, his goal is to get us back to that spot. Now, I think in the eschatology of things that Peter talks about this, that there's a new heaven and a new earth is coming. So whatever it looks like for this terra firma to be changed, God's going to change it so that we can be re-inhabitors of this planet after we have been in heaven for a minute. Because why? This flesh is of earth. We're earth dwellers. And so God's going to remake this thing at some level for us to get back to what he thought about when he made the beginning, when he thought about Eden. So I've spent a lot of time trying to help you understand how important Eden is because everything about what God wants to do in you is a lot like what he wanted to do in Adam. Now, we can't get to the place where we see the heavens and the earth remade until Jesus comes back and all those things are done. But, But listen to me. Jesus was not waiting for the ultimate in order to introduce the kingdom. He introduced the kingdom into a, into a cesspool world. And he said, you can have kingdom here and now, even though the world does not allow you the privilege of experiencing it in any place else. You can have kingdom in your household. You can have kingdom in your church. You can have kingdom in your personal life, in your soul. You can have Eden here. The place where God's rule, his fellowship, his laws, his commandments, his desires are all fulfilled without restraint. It says that God made Adam and placed him in Eden. Now, you got to understand something about Eden. Eden was, was like, I guess like a state. But then there was a garden in Eden. So when God made Adam, it says there was a garden that he made in Eden, and then he placed him there, meaning he placed him in Eden, not necessarily the garden, because verse 15 says he placed him then, took him from where he was, and then put him in the garden. So even though this this world is nothing like what, what Eden was, listen to me, the presence of God in the midst of it allows you the privilege of being in an environment that may not be perfect, but because your God is perfect in you, you can make it better than it is. And Adam was placed in Eden, and then God placed him in the Garden of Eden. And he said, I want you to do something in this garden. And we're going to get to the, what, what it means to have a, a, a profession. I want you to do something in the garden. But there was an idea about being in the world and then being in a part of the world that would provide for him. My second point, provision. God has called you to this area, and he has not left you without supply. Now, hear me. I realize you may not have gotten a call from God by coming down to the altar and somebody praying for you one day and saying, go to Northern Virginia and work for the government. Be a contractor. Serve in this capacity. That may have never happened. And I say that to most of the people because there are very few people here that were born here. Most of us are all transplants. Now, the longer we live here, our kids are growing up and they're natives, but I came from Kansas. And my story is a little different. The only reason I came here is because God told me to come. And may I say, that is the only reason I would come. I loved Kansas. 
I loved my, my, my people. I, even though I grew up in an environment in a predominantly white neighborhood, being an African-American, where folks didn't like us in the beginning, they became our friends and neighbors. I understood who they were. They would tell us when the, 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 the paper boy threw our, our paper in the woods or in the bushes. We had a real relationship with everybody else around us. Nobody honked the horn when you were a couple of seconds late at a green light. You know, you stopped at a stoplight and all of a sudden turned green. You're doing something else. Nobody honked their horn. It was one of these, you can go now. Everybody's nice in Kansas. Every once in a while, I, I, me and Dorothy got a lot going on. I like Kansas. I would not have come here had not God sent me. But I realized he called me to my version on the planet of Eden. Now, now I know you're thinking... I know you're thinking paradise, but don't think that way. I'm just talking about placement. He calls you someplace. And when he calls you someplace, he then also provides for you a garden that that can, can, can supply for you. In the midst of that, this, this environment may not be the place that supplies everything for you, the Northern Virginia area, but there's a place called the church, which is like the garden of God in the earth. Are you listening to me? That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, just like every garden that we have here, sometimes weeds grow. I get it. Sometimes stuff you did not intend to be in the garden pop up. It's it's been six. I've started my garden. (laughs) It's been six days I've been out in the garden. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I enlarged the garden this year. Uh, why? I'm just not right in my head. I, I, there's something wrong with the way I think. I don't know why I enlarged the garden this year. But I did put a fence around it so that the deer did not come to dinner, breakfast or lunch. They're not going to eat in my garden. The gophers aren't going to come in. I'm talking about six-foot fence. They can't even jump it. Big fence. Garden. And, and, and by the time I full, pull my, my first cucumber from my garden, it'll be about a $700 cu- cucumber. This isn't economical. No, no, no. This is to make my bride happy. This, this keeps me married wonderfully. And I'm out there turning over dirt every day, every day, just turning it over day after day after day, one shovel full after another. You say, why don't you get a rotor tiller? I, have, I planted the garden in the woods. See, my house is backed up to the woods. And, and we've had to clear a lot of trees. But the, but, but the trees that we've, we, we've left that, that are, are common property, they, they understand where to get nourishment. And they realize I fertilize my garden. I water my garden. And so they've sent their, 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 their root system into my garden in order to get whatever they need. And so every year, there are inch, inch, uh, inch uh, diameter roots in there. Every time I put a tiller in there, it just gets stuck on a root. So I can't use one. I got to just shovel it one shovel load after another. Takes about six days to get everything planted. I'm not mad because I love my wife. I love my wife. But I understand now what it takes. Even though I live in my house, I garden in the backyard. I know what it takes in order to make sure that we're provided for. Takes a little work. And God said, I've given you these trees, and they are pleasing to the eye, and they are good for food. The Lord supplies for you in your garden. Wherever you are, spiritually speaking, the Lord is supplying for you. Maybe Grace Covenant is not your home. 
at least today, he's providing for you through us. The church ought to be the place where people find the greatest amount of provision for them spiritually. Information about how to be a good friend, how to be an excellent lover of your enemy, how to be a good spouse, how to be a fabulous son or daughter, how to be a great parent, how to be a faithful employee, how to give out of your need to supply for somebody else because you really believe God can supply for you. The church is the one place on the, on the planet where his principles are to be embraced and exported without impediment. This is the place where he gets represented best. Is he represented well all the time? No. Primarily because we as sinners don't do a good job of it. I get it. And I am foremost a flawed. But please know that this this church concept, not just ours, but the concept of the church, is the best version of, of the garden that we're going to have on the planet until he returns. The best version. So find your supply. Don't leave it in the cupboard. Get with people who can help you. We, again, do Zoom now. I'm so tired of Google Hangouts. I, I, I want to hug folk. I want to be next to them. You know, it's really hard to try to, to, try to, to, try to deal with people. It's, it's hard to help people the most when you can't be with them the closest. I'll say that. It's hard. There's some things I can't do online. Can't do online. A lot of stuff I can't. And I'm grateful that if we have to go through this kind of thing, now we get to go through it in our generation because we can at least still do church. Kind of. But I can't do all church like this. And please, as good as we get at this, do not think it is a substitute. It is a supplement. Sooner or later. We're going to have to look at one another in the eye and joyfully, deeply embrace. Yes. Embrace. Violate all the things in our brain without violating the law because the laws will have changed and embrace one another because we love one another and in faith believe that our God can protect us. At some point, we're going to have to get there. For some of us, it might be 20 years down the road. Not mad at you. But at some point, you're going to have to get there. Because living separate is not normal. It's not normal. It's not normal. It's not the way church ought to do community. The church is supposed to be the garden, the place where things without impediment, without hindrance, are supposed to represent God best. And he provides. And may I, may I, may I say also that your household is to be a little sector of that garden. Little, little, little patch whereby you can provide for your household as God has placed you in there. Whether you're a mom, dad, whether you're a single, you can provide by doing what is necessary to make sure that your soul is encouraged with the words that God is speaking. Get it in your Bible and reading every day. Read your Bible every day. That's the food. Those are the trees from which he has given you to eat from. Read every day and find encouragement in there. The last thing beyond provision is profession. Your garden is not going to work very well unless you work it. 
You're going to have to really do some things. Now, Adam, we don't think, had any issue, any issue with weeds. But he did have issues with respect to making sure that it could be as fruitful as it needed to be. And it's interesting that God did not just put Adam in the garden. That was in Eden. But he also mentioned in the same passage that we did not read that there were four rivers that flowed from the garden. And it seemed that they were, they, the, the fountainhead began there. The Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. And those four rivers went out to water the entire earth. A transportation system that would allow Adam the privilege of expanding because God did say fill the earth. How was he going to get there? The Lord provided beautifully. He would use these rivers as the transport to be able to get to places through his offspring to take the will of God all over the earth. Meaning that as good as your garden is, it needs to be shared. You need to figure out how to expand it. You need to figure out how to replicate it. You need to figure out how to reach people through the vehicles, through the channels that God has given you to take the goodness that is in the garden and give it to people who don't have a garden. Doesn't mean they're not in Eden. Eden for us, if you will, metaphorically, is Northern Virginia. But the garden is different. The garden is where you live, where you, where you find all your supply. But there are people out there who don't know what supply looks like. They have no idea how to get anything from God. They're on the planet. They're made in his image. But they don't know that they've been placed in the right spot. They don't know why they've been placed on the planet. And you are the person who can take whatever you've got in yours and give it to them. Transport. Begin to outreach in order to make sure that you got stuff that's worthy <laughs> of being exported. Make sure it works at home. A man said once, if it doesn't work at home, please don't export it. Which means you've got to cultivate your garden. In the environment we live in, it's not only about just making sure that the things that you planted in the garden produce what you want them to produce. It's about making sure that the things that shouldn't be in the garden get out. Now, I planted my garden this week. And I've got watermelon, I got cantaloupe, I got Brussels sprouts, which I hate, but my wife loves, see, I tell you, I love my wife. She loves Brussels sprouts. I hate them. I hate them. I hate the way they smell. Everybody's tried to get me to like them. They put bacon around them. They put them in maple syrup and cook them. They put them in salt and, and vinegar and, and all kind of soy sauce. I hate every one of them. And they always tell me, try this, you'll like it. I hate it. But I planted them because I love my wife. I got carrots, I got green beans, I got tomatoes, I got hot peppers, I got bell peppers. I got so much stuff in the garden again, I enlarged it this year because I love my wife. But yesterday I went out, and it's only been four days, and there was something that sprouted that I didn't plant. I think, it's only been four days. How in the world did you get here? And I found myself going around my garden, nothing else has sprung up, going in here. Little things have sprouted. Things that I may have neglected from the, the tilling and turning over the dirt. There was a little weed there and I, I didn't get it all. And so it found a way to get back up. You know, if you don't get weeds out by the root, they're going to come back. They're going to come back. And so you've got to cultivate. For Adam, he had a profession. He had a job. Cultivate and guard this garden. 
Make sure that this garden produces for you as much as it possibly can. And now, because there is need out there in the world, make sure your garden produces as much for you and as much for them. You've got to have an overflow. You've got to cultivate your garden so well and and make sure that there's nothing that is competing for the resources necessary for the plant you want it to grow to grow, that your fruit of the Spirit is blossoming. You have joy in the midst of sorrow and confusion. You've got love when you're angry at people. You've got peace when confusion and chaos is going around. You've got patience when everything else says, act now. You've got all those things that the world does not have. You have to make sure you cultivate those things well so that other people can eat from your table. In other words, why do you think the fruit of the Spirit is called the fruit of the Spirit? It's so that other people can take a bite. It's not just for you. It's so other people are hungry. What does peace look like? Oh, thank you for showing me. It's not just about you enjoying your garden. It's about producing fruit that others might enjoy eating. When somebody, when they take a bite of your life, can they taste of the Lord and see that he's good? How is the world going to taste of God? In the Psalms it says, taste of the Lord and see he's good. Think Psalm 34. How how are they going to do that? Except that they taste your life. How are you doing with your garden? You better cultivate. You better cultivate. Pick out those weeds. Make sure you're taking the tributary branches from the tomato plants that are just sucking out the resources but producing nothing. Making sure you're trimming and pruning all those things. It takes every other day, every two, three days sometimes, you've got to go out there and, 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 and begin to make sure your garden produces what it needs to, not just for you, but for other people. We practiced, even though... You know, this is what we do. When, when we have our first harvest, we have a, a time of first fruits. And that time of first fruits is this. We, we take whatever we've harvested from the garden first, and that's usually around the end of May, early June, and we give it away. We don't eat from it because we offer it to God. That's what God said, take your first fruits offering and give it to me. He's pleased with that. So we give it to other people. We don't put it on a fiery kiln or a barbecue place and offer it in fire. No, we give it, give it away. There's, there's supposed to be fruit that you produce in your life that you freely give away in your family, that you freely give away. You got to work it, though. You got to work it, and you got to protect it. Protect your garden because there are thieves. There are enemies that want to come in and either lie to you, tell you what God is not, deceive you, hurt your family, you've got to protect it. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. You've got to pray. Do not just trust that you can get up because you're saved every day of your life and all things are going to be well. If you haven't noticed, that hadn't worked out very well. Here we sit and all things are not well. You have to pray in the midst of all this so that your family, your garden, your household called the church can be what it needs to be protected, cared for, so it can do what it needs to do for the community. It's not just about you becoming better. It's not just about you preserving yours. It is about us becoming what we need to be so we can do what we need to do. Get on the Tigris. Get on the Pishon, the Euphrates. Get on the Gihon and take it to somebody. They are hungry. The world is hungry for the fruit that is being produced in your garden. Yeah. Cultivated well. 
Make sure it produces grapes the size of grapefruits. Apples the size of watermelons. Cultivate well. And watch how God will make sure your table is always bountiful. It is filled. You will never lack as you begin to get on these rivers and take it to the world. I'm done. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I love you. Thank you for your goodness. Help us as people to know what it means to care for our garden and why. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be, and you know you need to make a change. If you fit in either of those two categories, needing to give your heart to Christ or having done so and fallen away, pray this prayer with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. And what we'd like you to do is there's a little little box in the, in the chat in the bottom. It says, I raised my hand. Check that. And then <clears throat> make sure you, you text New Life to 25827. New Life to 25827. The check in the chat box will let us know that you responded. The text will let us know how we can respond to you, help you to be really successful in the, in the decision you've made. You can also contact us through a little box there also in the chat box and click connect us, connect with someone. And a pastor will get in contact with you, a counselor will get in contact with you to help you know how you can really be great at the decision you've made. Thank you. You've begun a great life.